Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City. How are we doing, Kansas City? It's a little bit of a rainy, nasty kind of Friday out there, but you know what? It's still Friday, baby. You're heading into that weekend. Try to enjoy yourselves this weekend. That's what we that's what we need to do here in Kansas City. We're good people. We deserve it. You know how else some good people in Kansas City? Ty and Don James, but I'll get to them later. So many congratulations heading out to them. Uh, but we're here to talk about... Uh, <clears throat> we're here on Tapped In. So thank you for joining me on another edition of Tapped In from the KCPN Studios at Taps on Main on this rainy, nasty Friday. <laughs> again, mentioning again, but... Uh, yeah, we're still we're tapped in on some Royals, and the Royals are super tapped in of late. I was excited on Wednesday talking to you. Just there was a they had the one and one start to, with the series with Los Angeles, but man, the uh, Royals are now the, your team that is on a three-game winning streak. And according to the movie Major League, ladies and gentlemen, that is a streak. When you when you put three of them together, hot damn, you got something. Uh, but yeah, Wednesday they got the win six to one. Over the Angels, and with Brad Keller on the mound, finally pulling through and looking like the the leader, the, the staff leader that everybody was hoping he would be to to front the rotation. Not necessarily an ace per se, but the ace for the Royals at the very least. Until some of the younger arms, the Singers, the Bubiches, the uh, Ace Alaces, or Daniel Lynches, or Jackson Kowars, until they get uh, <clears throat> a little bit momentum, uh, some experience at the major league level. Guys who look like they could be aces, but I mean, we've already seen Brad Keller over the course of his young career has averaged around a three and a half ERA. And yesterday, that's that's the kind of things he was doing. He came out yesterday, it was five and two thirds innings pitched, only four hits allowed and only one walk. And it was just one run, one earned run, five strikeouts, So, which isn't very Keller-like. He's usually just the kind of pitcher that induces the ground ball and lets his defense do the work. And when you've got a defense like the Kansas City Royals do behind you, why the hell wouldn't you ask them to do the work? I mean, you've got <clears> – <throat> no, we are missing the legendary gold glove uh, left fielder that we've had for the last decade now, Alex Gordon, but there's still a lot of really strong defenders out there behind him and only will get better once – uh, Adalberto Mondesi rejoins the team. He's His 10 days are up, and he's getting closer, but there's still no timetable, according to manager Mike Matheny, on exactly when uh, he can go ahead and come back and get back into the lineup. So they're still going to – it's very evident with Mondesi they're going to ease him back in. But Royals fans have seen what he can bring playing there at shortstop. And, I mean, it's he can drive you nuts with the bat, but, man, that guy can play some, some wizardry defense out there. Not – necessarily like a Frank White, but at least like what Alcides Escobar did. And I mean, Alcides Escobar was also a gold glove winner at one point. So something uh, <clears throat> something that was very, very encouraging for Royals fans is Brad Keller coming back, uh, coming back to what we would expect out of him. And his ERA is now down to a not-so-sterling 9.58, but at least it's not the 40.5 that it was after his first start. So improvement there. Some things that continued with the bullpen on Wednesday night. After Keller left the game, just the bullpen, just it was just nails, man. Jake Brintz, Josh Stamont, and then Tyler Zuber on his first appearance of the season came in, only gave up two hits, not a single walk in the uh, three, <clears throat> three and a third inning between the three of them, and uh, no earned runs again. I mean, that's I know I've mentioned both Brintz and Stamont among those names of pitchers that thus far this season out of the bullpen had not given up any runs 
one of those names, unfortunately, did fall and allowed his first run on win on Thursday night. But uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, and with the game on Wednesday, it was just another one. The Royals just kind of getting some runs here and there, and just doing things, doing things the old school way, the fourteen and fifteen way, which you could definitely say would be the Royal way. And but Salvador Perez, Carlos Santana, each with home runs and a couple ribbies apiece doing exactly what you what you hope to see them doing. I mean, Salvador Perez, we talked about how scorching hot he'd been in the series this week, and it's just continued. And so he's, <clears throat> after the game last night, he's still batting 302. I mean, that's we're talking about a guy who is well under the Mendoza line. And while, yes, it's still uh, very early in the season, that's still, it's been a scorching hot week for Salvi. And, but we'll, uh, <clears throat> that was a good uh, kind of a little bit of a butt kicking there to finish off and get the series win against the Angels on Wednesday. And then you had the Blue Jays uh, starting the series yesterday, and the Royals got off to a very strong start in that four game set with a seven to five victory over those Blue Jays from Toronto. And I'm going to try to be nice because I remember they got, they, they were some salty birds with us back in the, the 15 playoffs. They, uh, they did not take kindly to, to uh, the, well, frankly, to the ass kicking that they got from the Royals, and I remember which people can say maybe it's not the most uh, best thing to happen baseball etiquette wise, but when Jose Bautista, who I mean, we all like that guy's just a jackass. Rugnador proved that when he you know dropped him with a with a right hand out there when when Batista tried to go against a guy who was a gold glove boxer. So that wasn't exactly his best move. But uh, when Batista, he was going for a pop, it was a pop fly in shallow right, and he was going after it, and a Royal fan yelled, got it! And Batista thought that it was his guy, and poop, just dropped right in there. That's what allowed uh, the Royals to build up a big, or helped the Royals build up a big inning that ended up taking one of those games at the K, and Blue Jays fans were not happy with us afterwards. But hey, you know, to the victor go the spoils, and history remembers the champions, and that's what we were in 15. So, so the Blue Jays, you know, they, they're probably still a little bit of distaste for us, even though it's a completely different generation for them, and we only really have Salvi from that era. Of course, we have Wade Davis and Greg Holland back in the bullpen, but uh, it's a brand-new Blue Jays team. I mean, this is a team that's the last couple years they've had some really top-notch blue-chip prospects that have started to make their way up to the major leagues. In a very unusual, but pretty cool, actually, for whatever you want to say about the 90s with uh, Larry Walker and Todd Helton getting started. <clears throat> and then uh, the best one, the crown jewel, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., whose father is one of the best hitters of all time, and is looking like he's he, he was, he's a pretty damn good ball player in his own right. Uh, he did have a home run for the, the Blue Jays last night. He ended up just being triple shy of the cycle. And that's kind of crazy to think that, that the cycles just don't happen every day. I mean, I'm, I believe the last time that any Royal had a cycle was George Brett. And so that's uh, – yeah, it's been a while since Georgie Boy has been been in the lineup for the Royals. So that tells you that that's not exactly the easiest thing to do. And yet Vlad Guerrero in his very, very young career came just a triple shy. Of course, the triple being the hardest one. And he's a little pudgy, so I don't know how many how many triples he might be getting. But um, – but the Royals came out hot. You know, they got the 7-5 to five victory, but they had they had their seven runs up by the fourth inning. And it was, unfortunately, the bullpen a little bit sketchy from there that put the Blue Jays in, and out, in a position where the Royals did actually have to – they did qualify for a save, uh, their last reliever in, because the 
But yeah, Jacob Junis go out and just continue to look very impressive this season. Of course, I talked at length uh, uh, recently about the cutter that he added to complement his uh, his knockout slider. And he has that cutter continues to prove to be very effective. He went five innings pitched, uh, gave up five hits and one walk and six strikeouts through five innings. And he'd actually run his scoreless streak for the season up to 12 innings now. Uh, but <clears throat> unfortunately, he, d he did start the sixth. They let him start the sixth. I believe he was only in the, the low 80s for pitches. And he gave up a couple base runners, so they went and pulled him. Jake Newberry that Junis had put on, so his score scoreless streak did end at 12 innings. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Newberry gave up two more runs of his own, and so Jake Newberry continues to not exactly look like the pitcher the Royals had hoped he was going to be out of the bullpen. He's he's just not something's just not quite right with him yet, and we'll see if he can get that right. But there is definitely something very right with Jacob Junis, and so we're looking at that's two starts now for a guy who it's only five innings each, but they're still trying to stretch him a bit into being a being a starter. But at this point, for a guy who was looked at as a long reliever. Or just just a very very versatile piece for the Royals in the, on their pitching staff, but he just continues to earn more opportunities to get to start. And at this point, he won't be the fifth starter for long. He will work his way up, and to being that two or three guy even. I mean, looked very good so far in what was now what is now two starts for him, and I mean two starts, ten innings between the two. And only the two earned runs. And I believe he had six six strikeouts in both. So, Junis, you're looking good, buddy. We are very, very happy to see that here in Kansas City. Uh, and then I'd mention a name uh, from that list of, of bullpen of relievers who finally did, uh, finally fell, man. They, they put up a valiant fight over the course of the season. Hadn't given up any earned runs. And Kyle Zimmer, I'm sorry to see that, sorry to say that, uh, you fell, man. You succumbed to it. It's a hard thing to do, but to keep on keep on putting up, uh, putting up. You finally, you finally let him get to you, and so shame on you. How dare your ERA go up to 1.04 on the season? Like you should just be absolutely ashamed of yourself. Just kidding. Zimmer only gave up the one run, uh, so he's not there. With the Josh Damont uh, <clears throat> anymore as pitchers that had not. Still got a 1.04 ERA, and he's still out there. Considering he was two years ago looked at as a long shot to even make the team, and right now we are looking at him as probably our best be the closer. I that's with Kyle Zimmer. And again, something, I don't know how many times I'm a broken record here, but something to be very excited about. And it was Scott Barnes, a two-inning pitch save, only the two hits allowed. But because this the game had gotten within a two-run situation, save but Barlow after a rough outing earlier this week brought his ERA down to 3.24 and so but the, the Royals were just they built up this 7-0 lead on on the way that they they used to do things they were they this was a, a lineup that was built that they wanted to take advantage of Kauffman Stadium and they did that without a doubt last night uh, in the first inning it was Benintendi Andrew Benintendi doubling in uh, Whit Merrifield Nicky Lopez tripled in Hanser Alberto fourth inning Hunter Dozier doubled in Jorge Soler, and then Alberto doubled in Dozier, and you had errors by one of those, one of the the juniors, as we'll call him, the junior Blue Jays, uh, Kevin Biggio, 
had two errors that allowed runs to score in uh, on two separate occasions. <clears throat> and so the Royals just hitting the ball in the gaps, using their speed, and, and forcing the other team to make mistakes and playing error-free baseball. Got to love it. Yeah, the bullpen got roughed up a little bit, but the Royals are four, first place in the AL Central. Still only the two guys batting over th over 300, Salvia 302, and then Witt is still scorching hot at 364. But again, 7-4, first place, feeling good. Uh, I've got the the next three games in this in, in this stand. Uh, excuse me, this set with the Blue Jays. The pickup again tonight at seven o'clock, uh, seven ten I believe, and uh, a couple more games over the weekend, and then you got the Rays in town to finish to start next week. So if you get a chance, it's it's going to be a little chilly this weekend, but go see the Royals, folks. I know I said it last week, but hey, you got Royals baseball at the K. Fans are allowed. Let's go do it. Have fun. Go cheer on those Royals. Keep them in first place. Because we, we love our teams here in Kansas City. And the other team we love, oh, man, just the Chiefs. I haven't talked much about Chiefs. We started this show right at the start of baseball season. In my first episode, I come and talk about the Chiefs. But I haven't gotten to talk a lot about Chiefs. You always see me wearing Royals gear. But anybody who knows me knows that my first love are just those beautiful red and gold clad Kansas City Chiefs. Man, they... Uh, it's been it's been a rough relationship at times over the years. I remember such names as Todd Haley and just well, really, we can just leave it at Todd Haley. He was just just awful human being. But Gracie will tell you that Gracie Gracie is very she she knows she she likes to share the stories of what what kind of a pos that Todd Haley was. But then we had this wonderful beautiful man Andy Reid come show up. And he's just done so right by us here in Kansas City. And so, yeah, it was a rough end of last year. And that's what leads me into this little discussion I'm going to have is that what the Chiefs are going to do in the draft. And so I'm just, just going to go over a few rumors that have been thrown around. And uh, <clears throat> obviously, I have come out and said before that the Chiefs need to go offensive tackle. And I'm completely sticking with that. And I've seen – it frustrates me when I've seen some of these mock drafts that go out there on NFL Network or ESPN or just the number of the, any other websites. And a name that I've seen get thrown around on a, in a, a couple NFL Network mock drafts of late is the Chiefs going cornerback at 31, uh, a cornerback out of Kentucky, Kelvin Joseph. I'm not saying we don't need a cornerback, but I don't think – unless he's the best player on the board, which in a lot of the mock drafts I've done – Kelvin Joseph is not exactly a corner going in the first round in most of these. That's that's not something the Chiefs need to use a a, pro, a premier resource such as a first round pick. Yeah, it's all like a thirty one. You're missing out on a lot of the really talented ball players that can come in and make instant impacts. But that's <clears throat> the the Chiefs can't afford to be missing on on thirty one and. I feel like a cornerback might be a wasted resource at that point. Second, third round, maybe they have two fourths, two fifths. Thanks to the complimentary picks, maybe it's a little bit more reasonable to do it at that point in time. Uh, I've also seen pass rusher, a couple different pass rushers. Todd McShay had he's taken Aziz Ojolari of a an edge rusher, and in his most recent one, Mel Kiper Jr who I rarely agree with, had the Chiefs taken Jason Owe, a uh, edge rusher out of Penn State, who who opened up a lot of eyeballs and has jumped up boards because he didn't have productive season sack-wise at Penn State. But he was a very raw athlete, but he just put up a 4-3-6-40 at his pro day, and so that's got a lot of scouts drooling. And so he's got him going to the Chiefs at 31, but both uh, Kuiper and Todd McShay have did a full two rounds 
mock draft. And at, at 63 for both of them, they had the Chiefs taking Walker Little, an offensive tackle out of Stanford, who opted out last year. Otherwise, we're talking about a guy who probably, after his first year starting at Stanford, he was looked at as a, as a first-round pick, half of the first round. Uh, but then he had some injury issues and uh, <clears throat> two years ago, and then he opted out this past season because of the COVID-19 protocols. And so he's, there's, he's kind of an unknown commodity, but when he's played, he's looked like an exceptional talent. He's a name that I've even seen thrown around at 31 for the Chiefs. And so there's a number of questions of what are the Chiefs, do they just sit at 31? go for a guy like Walker Little, or there's other names that have been thrown out, like a Liam Eikenberg, uh, offensive tackle out of Notre Dame that I've seen in going to 31 in a lot of mock drafts. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, or do they maybe try to trade up? That's something that is, I, me and a lot of other Chiefs fans will tell you, is not something we exactly want to do, mainly because of the other draft capital. There was a projected one put out there by uh, Chad Reuter on NFL.com in which he said that the Chiefs, he proposed the Chiefs package 31 and 63, so their first and second round picks, to move up to 25 to take Samuel Cosme, the left tackle coming out of Texas. And Cosme did a great job. You look at some of the reasons that Sam Ellinger had some of the great seasons and great statistics he's put up at Texas, number two behind Colt McCoy in a lot of Texas passing categories. It helps when you have a, a left tackle like Samuel Cosme that's been protecting your blind side but trading both 31 and 63 to go get Cosme at 25 seems like a stretch if you're going to trade your first and second round picks to move up to go get a tackle I want somebody who I want like a top 10 worthy tackle I want Panay Sewell out of Oregon or I want uh Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern but those that's going to take a lot more a future first round pick in addition to this and other draft picks to move up to go get one of those guys uh, but there's also the option of trading down. And if they were to trade down, you know, five to ten picks, a guy like a Dylan Raddins uh, out of uh, North Dakota State or Eichenberg out of Notre Dame, Jalen Mayfield out of uh, <clears throat> Michigan, uh, there's number, num yeah, excuse me, a number of options for the Chiefs to go there. But I'm going to throw and this, I'm not throwing this out, but this is one that I'm starting to buy into a little bit. And it could be difficult just given the teams involved. But uh, Mike Garofalo, an NFL reporter, a month ago, he put out uh, a report that there were six teams interested in trading with the Baltimore Ravens for Orlando Brown Jr., who is their right tackle. But after the injury to their Pro Bowl left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, and who's from contract, uh, after he got hurt and missed the rest of the season, they moved to left tackle. And he filled in over the last half of that season very admirably at left tackle. And coming into this, when he was asked about it, he actually tweeted, I am a left, all capitals L. am a left tackle. And he wants to, he specifically, that's where he wants to play. And that just wasn't going to be the case with the Ravens. And he's he hasn't thrown fits or this isn't him you know, being a, ba a big or making team kind of wants and so the Chiefs are reported to be one of those teams and I would love to see that happen uh, that would be, he would be by far the best solution to the Chiefs left tackle problem at this point in time just if the trade compensation was fair they could do an outright we give them the 31st overall pick and they give us Brown, I would be on that in a heartbeat. That would be, 
That would the, the Chiefs would have to follow it up by giving him an extension, but in a season in which you can do around 250 million next year, that's when you can backload it a little bit heavier. Second, third years, and which you need to keep be, keep doing, but if true Pro Bowl tackle type to a, a massive mammoth of a man, six eight three. Uh, line side, then I'd say you absolutely have the problem is would the Ravens be willing to tra trade to a team of the AFC that seems to be the complication and probably one of the main reasons that nothing has happened yet but we're still too weird from the first round so we will see where that goes, but that's something very much so to watch over for the Chiefs is how they situation. They've obviously addressed the rest of the offensive line with Tooney and Kyle Long and Austin Blythe and bringing back Mike Remmers and then Lawrence Laurent Duvarnay Tardif is reported to be coming back. So they've they've addressed a lot of spots in the offensive line, but left tackle's the big one. That is the one that is still a, a question mark. But we, we shall see. Answers will be coming very, very soon to the Chiefs' kingdom. So I wanted to finish this off just with a quick shout-out, and that shout-out is going to Ty and Don James. Uh, little baby Archie was just born on Wednesday. I'd literally uh, I'd gotten the question as soon as we, we wrapped filming of Tapped In on Wednesday, and I said, no, I hadn't heard any word yet, and I look at my phone, I pull up, and there's a picture of a little baby. Uh, on my phone, just little Archie. That little potato, as Ty says. Um, and I just want to say the ultimate congratulations to my dear friends, Ty. Uh, this tapped in, doing this at Taps on Main, doing the tailgate podcast that I do. I wouldn't be doing any of this if not for him and the wonderful friendship that we share and the shared dreams that we have in getting to talk about sports. And so, again, congratulations to those two on being new parents and I couldn't be more thrilled for them. And so that feels like an appropriate way to close out this edition of Tapped In. I want to again thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for checking this out, what we're doing. We've, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, folks, we're going to keep bringing this to you. I love, to, I love being Tapped In. I love doing this. And so we're going to keep on rolling. So you all have a wonderful weekend. Go see some Royals and I'll see you all on Monday.